listen to fucking music. What are you guys up to today, man? <laughs> but, but just take the word franchise. That's that's what it is, bro. Thank you so much for the franchise giving us a, a few minutes of, uh, of your time. We really appreciate it, bro. And you got a busy day. A busy day. you coming on but uh how did it go with uh you know you know you know sending him off and of course a, a couple of, yeah a few tears of course but this is this is how how old is he now he uh, turned 18 in april uh he's uh you know dusty Rhodes when he was five years old gave him his first wrestling game he bought him a block because he was as wide as he was tall he's, uh, <laughs> two and a half maybe three inches taller than the old man and Probably a little bit better looking than me, and a hell of a lot smarter. So I think that's a great future ahead of him. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. But um, uh, well, one of the first things that just hits me, Shane, out of nowhere, just because I just remember it so vividly, and I know you, I know you probably do too. But we tagged at center stage in Atlanta. And oh my god, yes, yes, and there's a great picture of us down on one knee. And we were going to be, I mean, that they were really going to, you know, try to, you know, push the, the blonde hair, black hair, you know, yep. let's do it, let's let's make it go, and tag team champions, and all that. And then, and then, let me ask you this. I'm not even quite sure because I was so young and, 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 a, and, a, and a rookie, more than young. What what happened? Did you leave and go to WWF at that time? No. Uh, what year would that have been? The years are all blurred to me. What year was that, Mark? That would have been 91, like 91, 92, but okay, no, so that, no that later. I left the road uh, for my dad. My dad had come down with uh, stage four COPD, and you know, obviously must have been feeling something physically before that. But you know those tough old bastards from that greatest generation wouldn't sell anything, and I, I had to leave the road in early '91 uh, to go home and spend some time with him. And then I came back for a brief period, and then went back to full time teaching. Uh, but I remember when they were talking about putting us together, and do you remember when they sent us on that? Uh, you know, to this day, I scratch my head about it. When they sent you and I out to some state park in around Atlanta somewhere to do a, a, a photo shoot. Oh, my not. God. That is right here in front of me. Please tell. Please tell the Bill Watts story <laughs> well, that we went yeah, to the we, Chattahoochee we, River. Both of us young and dumb, right? And we're, we're, I think it's, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought it was about a, like a pre-shoot for a movie or something. Oh, and we were just doing what we were told, but still, yes, it was some type yeah. of movie or, or something, and we were, we were very excited about it. Yeah, yeah, so we go out again, young and dumb, and this guy's telling us to take all these weird pictures, you putting a gun in my mouth, me putting a gun in your mouth, and just felt pretty smarmy after a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't feel right, did it? <laughs> hey, bro, let me tell you something. So let's just clarify this. It wasn't right. There was something <laughs> going on. If you yeah. remember, even the way he had us speak, I've got a gun in your mouth, and I'm going, you know, make your make my day. Yeah. Do you remember that? And and then and we were like. This, this, I mean, but Bill Watts told us to do it. It was our job, but, but we just knew we walked away from that, that that was not quite right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially with the cowboy. You know, I I had worked for him previously. I knew if he said go left, go left, because otherwise you catch all kind of hell and get fined. And, but I just, I've never seen any of those pictures. 
I've never seen them. I've never seen. Me neither. I've never seen one picture. I've never seen one thing. And Craig Leathers, I don't know if you remember him or not, but Craig Craig would, he was actually trying to to do that, and he was part of lining that whole thing up. Oh, really? Yes, and you know he was just behind the job of getting it set up from Bill, not knowing that. To be honest, I think that was a fucking fag that <laughs> tricked him and and had us come out as the two pretty you know the two pretty white boys that are are, are going to do these scenes. And when we started seeing it, even we started feeling funny, but. When you're working for World Championship Wrestling and Cowboy right. Bill Watts tells you to do something, you go do it. Like you said, left, go left, right, go right. But yeah. when it was over, I ain't going to lie to you, I felt dirty. <laughs> I was just thinking the exact same thing. I thought I could only go home and take a shower. <laughs> I swear to it you. It was really strange. It was the strangest thing in the world, and I had it on my list right here to talk about, but I never saw one picture, never heard anything about it, and I did get Craig Leathers to finally say he thought that they just were kind of working us and didn't know, but still, I don't know why they would go to that kind of trouble. It was weird. Yeah. It was a really weird yeah. deal. And you remember that? You, oh, absolutely. You look at it to, like the lens of today, and I know it was a vastly different time, but you would think that WCW would have sent somebody out there with us, a handler. But to be honest, I mean, sounds crazy, but who's to say that guy didn't scoop you and I out there in the woods and, you know, leave us way in there. Uh, you know, it was a really strange setup. And, and, you know, with all we know about the entertainment industry now, just a very, very odd setup and to send two young kids out there like that with no handler and nobody representing the company. And, and if, and if we... It's more approachable thing. Just, it, 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 you said you felt dirty. I did. And if you really, if we really told the people what we were saying, which I can't quite remember, but it was just words that that was like almost you know, comical and yeah. they, but he wanted us to sound like, you know, make my day. And, yes. it, and it was yeah. just, it was just, it finally caught on to us a little bit, but we're still doing our job. And, and we walked away going, Oh my God, where's the nearest shower? <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the guy that got us or anything. He was just taking pictures and saying, okay, uh, Marcus, put the gun in Shane's mouth and say this, and Shane, do this to Marcus and say that. It was just like, wasn't he just floating off the head? 1,000%. That's how he did it. And, but like I said, the gun in the mouth, that right there, you know, was a red flag, but still, we're trying to think, well, a movie and, and, and WCW told us yeah. to do this, and so we're going to try to do the right thing. And but when it was all said and done and over, it just it just didn't feel right, did it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there thinking to myself right now on on porno lines someplace. There's probably a, a Buff and Trent or Buff and Shane do do Dallas or do Atlanta videos somewhere. Yes, gonna sing those cornball lines. Uh, thank God I've never seen it, but there probably is out there. It's got to be because, I mean, it, it was just crazy. It was nuts. But we, we survived that. And then right close after that is when you, you know, that that's, I guess, when your father got sick and then and, and you had to go, you know, take care of that, right? Yeah. he You know, he was, you know, so you, you've heard me talk about him in other interviews. Uh, you know, like I think all of our dads, but my dad being a World War II vet, you know, our generation grew up, uh, you know, in the specter of World War II and, you know, the greatest generation and all that. And my dad quantified that. He was, uh, when he was, I was, he was 48 years old when I was born. Uh, you know, I had friends whose dads had died at 41 and 42. So I'd grown up with this morbid fear that something was going to happen to my dad. And he was a physical specimen, 28 inch waist, a 48 inch expanded chest. 
just wow. you know, just was a you know, looked like a superhero to a young kid. Sure. And when he came down with the COPD, you know, I couldn't imagine my dad dying. I, I couldn't. I it just didn't register in my head. He's a superhero. He's got an S on his chest for God's sakes. And, right. Uh, you know, when the when the doctors, you know, took us into the side room and you know said your your, your father has three or five days to live. You know, honestly, not to sound corny, but the whole room spun on me. It, it was like, yes. this, is, this is surreal. And the old tough guy survived that. He ends up living about two and a half years past that before it uh, transgressed into lung cancer. And, you know, it was just a downward spiral. But to see the tough guy get through over that first dump, and, you know, he lived a relatively good life for the next two years, then about six months where he started going downhill. But it was clear that being on oxygen, he couldn't live alone. And, right. you know, they get forgetful. And, you know, he, we knew that he was still sneaking cigarettes here and there. Sure. And I was afraid that he'd blow himself up or something. And, you know, I, I, I just as his only son, I couldn't imagine not going to take care of him after all he had done for me. And especially and, uh, with that with the tank there, I mean, you, you know, that lighter could easily blow up and and kill him right yeah. there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pure oxygen is highly explosive. Yes. And, you know, in fact, that that happens to a lot of COPD patients. They they leave a burner on the stove because you know, being lacking oxygen, you get forgetful and things, and they'll do stuff like that. And you know, they they would bring lit legitimately the size of a beer keg. Of oxygen, and that thing would go off into the bomb, you know. So I moved him in with me, and and uh, you know, subsequently to his own apartment after that. And then you could tell that that you know, really uh, losing his, his independence, so to speak, like really hammered him. I think harder than the disease did. And I tried to give him as much of that as I could. Right. But you know, you, you got to keep your eye on them, and you know, he. You know, it was, I mean, this is our parents were talking about, right? And, right. Yeah, I mean, we're, doing the, we're doing the best we can, right? Correct. Absolutely. Well, um, uh, uh, Boochie's with me here, Vinny the Booch, and he's my he's my co-host. He's a huge, huge Shane, Shane Douglas fan, so he's got a couple <laughs> questions for you. So, so you're the one. Yes, he's the Booch. <laughs> That'd be me. He's the one. He's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's good to talk to you, Shane. And, uh, and of course, um, one of the things that you know that you're most known for in the business uh, about being the franchise was you were there when ECW made the big transition from you know Eastern Championship Wrestling into Extreme Championship Wrestling. You know the promo you cut when you threw the belts on the ground is one of the most infamous moments in wrestling. And you know, I just want to know that you know, with the experience you went through that during that time, and as you know, AEW is the thing that everyone's talking about now that it's the new company coming up. So, I just want to know during that transition, did you feel you were on the cusp of seeing a change? Did you guys know at that moment that ECW was going to become you know as big as it was? And do you feel history is repeating itself with the rise of AEW? Uh, great questions. Uh I would love to be able to sit there and say, yeah, we knew it all along. We knew it was going to be a home run. Uh, no, we didn't know. And, and that was why I was so reticent about going. You know, Paul Heyman and, and Todd Gordon and I had talked about this. And no, to my knowledge, no one else outside of those three knew the possibility. But what I always respected about Paul Heyman was he never ordered me. He never said, okay, this is what you're doing. He gave me the option. If you if you throw the belt down with Lawrence UCW as an attendant, uh, if you don't, we'll be we'll fold into the NWA and we'll work from that position. And all week long, I kept going back and forth. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And when you see after, you know, we just talked about my dad. When you see in that promo, I stop and I say, here we go, dad. Uh, that was not a planned line. That was my dad had died a month and a few days before, a year and a month and a few days before that day in 93. Wow. And he used to tell me growing up, and, you know, the words would hit me, they never made sense. He would say, son, you can walk with your feet on the ground like everybody else, or you can soar with the eagles. And I would say, yeah, okay, Dad, sounds great. I had no clue what he meant. And at that moment when I say, here we go, Dad, I could feel my dad there. My dad was a huge wrestling fan. And for the first time in my life, I understood what my dad was saying. That's and great. That's I great. I looked over and locked eyes with Dennis Corlugo, and uh, you 
knew that that was the way we had to go. I mean, you know, no disrespect to the NWA, and that was my big fear. I didn't want any of those NWA champions I mentioned that I was a huge mark for to think that I was shitting on their legacy in any way because I wasn't. Uh, the NWA, like I said in the speech, had died seven years before that. Marcus and I lived through that. And it was dead and gone. Like, ECW is dead and gone today. The legacy survived, thanks, thanks, thank God. But the, the company is gone. You can't just resurrect it like a Frankenstein. Uh, so that was when, like, it all coalesced in my head and it was the right thing to do. And, you know, even afterwards, we weren't sure. I mean, it, it could have landed like a, like a herd in a punch bowl, right? And thankfully, the fans at that time, it was all the things lined up just right. All the stars, just like they are right now, for AEW. We've, you know, Marcus and I have lived long enough to see this thing come full circle twice. Twice. And twice, big man. You're right. When, when you watch the, the, the WWE program, I always preface with this statement. I am not criticizing the kids because they're being told to do what they're doing. Uh, the difference is Marcus and I have the luxury of working with guys who were true legends, true icons in wrestling that had made their way for decades in the business and learned from them. Yes, we had the best. Try, we had the best learn. We had the best teachers in the world, Shane. Oh, absolutely! You couldn't. You couldn't literally ask for any better. We were sitting in the dressing room with the likes of Harley Race. And you know, rest his soul, and and uh, you know Bruno San Martino, Steamboat, and Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. it goes on and on. Rick Rude, Sting, yeah. Lex Luger. I mean, it just goes on and yeah. on, bro. You know, name, name any better than all those names, and that we had the, the privilege of working with and learning from those guys. Shame on us if we hadn't learned our craft. Uh, these kids don't have that, and so with the AEW. You know, we, it's, it's right back to where it was in the first place. And I've always talked about, like, how a ECW, ECW came to be. The wrestling industry then, the big two, WCW and WWF, had both gone down the cartoon lane of trying to outland. It's, it's sort of like the Liberal Party today, right? They're both trying to out-progressive each other and going further and further left. Uh, the, the Both WCW and WWF were doing the same thing, trying to one-up each other in that vein of, like what I call cartoon wrestling. That yes. opened the door for us to be able to start ECW and, and give the fans a taste of something far different than they had seen. The problem was we couldn't just bring it back to wrestling. We had to bring it back to wrestling on steroids and then throw a whole lot of gasoline on it. Exactly. That, we've now seen it come full circle to the same place where AEW, I hope them, and I'm sure they do understand what a unique opportunity because Marcus throughout most of our career, you and I've seen Vince pretty much invincible. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you're talking about Vince McMahon and, and, and back to same place and doing things down at Universal Studios. I have worked for three companies in the same studio and now they're all three gone, bro. That's incredible, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. Studio Twenty Six, I think it was the name of it. I think, and it was in that under in that little dome there at Universal Studios, and WCW did our stuff there, and then and then XWF, if you remember, they did their stuff there, and we thought that was going to be it, and then and then you know, and then and then the Impact TNA came in, and and then that kind of you know kind of flopped, but it just yeah. it, you know it just really we really did see three companies just go under under one studio door. Yeah, and, and all of those companies you mentioned had the opportunity to be something. Uh, like in TNA's case, <clears throat> I worked there as head of talent relations uh, after Dusty came, and what really shocked me was, you know, look, you and I are both idiots in a whole bunch of ways, me bigger than most, but I, we know this business, and if I'm going to go, the reason I take my car to the shop and pay $150 for, per hour for uh, the mechanic to fix it isn't because I'm just such a lovely, wonderful guy I want to give all my money to the mechanic, because I don't know how to do it, and he right. does. And Dixie Carter would routinely, every week, call me and ask me questions about, you know, what, what the direction the company was heading in particular angles and, 
And, you know, Mila can dummy up and explain to her the psychology and why we had to go this way or that way and what the outcome would be. Did you feel like did you feel like you got anywhere with Dixie, Shane? No. No. That was what I was going to say. And not one time did she ever take my advice, but she would listen to 2025 fans online. And then after she didn't take your advice, she'd come back to me a week later and say, oh, you're right. All the fans are bitching. Now how do we fix it? And, you, and me like the dummy would say, well, here's how you fixed it. Right. I wouldn't take that advice. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I remember the I was on the very first TNA show, and they had me run and do four or five things to promote it, and it was almost impossible from a radio station to a weather station to back and <laughs> forth. And then when I got back to the show, I was in a first match battle royal, and I was the first man out. Are you kidding me? I swear to God. I went, okay, <laughs> I think I see the writing on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Different theater, same movie, right? Yes, exactly. Different theater, same movie. Exact same thing. You're exactly right. You, you know how much ultimately the Carter family dumped into TNA with, along with uh, Spike Network? Yes. Five hundred and sixty-three or sixty-seven million dollars. Wow. Over half a billion dollars. Now that is when I say that number, like even coming, I've said it a million times. Every time I say it, it just dars my brain. That how could you spend that kind of money and have silks to show for it? And if you remember the big hoorah when they got their very first one. Rating. Yes. And it was like, yay! And we were doing sixes every single Monday. <laughs> right. and, and here they I are often, going, we got a one, we got a one. Yeah. And I'm like, y'all are, often, y'all are uh, fucking out of it, bro. <laughs> one ain't going to do it. Yeah. Well, I always talk about how WCW in that final week, if you recall, and I made the attempt to send off this way or that way, but I believe the week that they got sold to Vince, it was a 4.5 rating on TNT. My exact words were, I heard four. So we're real close with the four and the four or five. But here's what I heard most of all. That was the same time that the NBA finals were going on and they were doing ones. And we were doing fours and four fives. And we were the first thing they got rid of. Isn't that crazy? Somebody yeah, makes I, sense I, to me about that. <laughs> I, I just I just started reading the NWA book, and I, the author's name. I apologize. It's, I'm I'm so bad with names to begin with, but it really is an intensive deep dive into WCW's end. And according to the author, you know, WC it had never turned a profit, and all those executives and Turner. Couldn't wait to get rid of it. And my question would be, how did it not turn a profit? Right. What happened? You know, with with, with numbers like that, then you know, you've got to look at management because somebody screwed up someplace if that place wasn't uh, cutting a, a profit. And the fact that they sold the vents for, what was it, $4 million? I heard five, crazy. so same thing, four or five, but just dirt cheap, bro. Vince bought yeah. it and just just was like thrilled to death. I went from buff to what was your name again? (laughs) (laughs) You know the deal. Mine was who the hell are you? I I love it. Yeah, it's, well, just think of the library alone, especially, you know, hindsight's always 20-20, but imagine the extensive NWA library and WCW library and what that would be worth, just streaming out straight away the videos online, you'd make a mint. And why would he not possibly make every fan in the world happy? And just to be totally honest, save a few lives. Let's just be straight up. And because when you cut guys' money away, things happen, bro. But yeah. at the same time, you know, he was he he really did just get rid of us and wanted to show the world that the WWF 
was number one, instead of making the McDonald's a Burger King, Taco Bell, Wendy's, and, and have some competition. But instead, he went with the McDonald's, and I just think, I still to this day think it's the wrong decision. Well, imagine what he could have done. I, uh, when I was a kid, I remember you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they'd always talk about the Super Bowl of wrestling. What if you know, Bob Backlund wrestled Harley Race? And they, I think they had like a match in Japan at one point. You know, they, that would have drawn huge business. And I remember seeing uh, The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, at Owen's funeral. And it was right in this time frame. I can't remember if it was before the sale, after the sale. I think it was after or before the sale. And he came up and he asked me, how long do I have to wait to have approval of working with the franchise? And I said, I'm sure your boss would know that answer before I would. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm at, what he told me that night was that it was the night before the funeral. And he said that the plan was to take all the similar characters. So Sting would wrestle the Ultimate Warrior. I would wrestle The Rock. Every, you know, it was all like, like characters. Flair, of course, would wrestle Hogan. And there would be all this direct crossover. And I'm sure ultimately Vince would have put his company over. We know that. Of course. But imagine the numbers that he could have drawn if, had he done that. Yeah, even still keep his company over, but still get so many more storylines that sure. would get the fans so happy and the ratings be so high. And he could still have kept his his company on top by beating us. That was fine, but still give the fans what they wanted, which was more storylines and more angles. I mean, who didn't want to see Franchise versus The Rock? Sting versus Stone Cold? I mean, it, it, it it just never ends. I mean, from tag teams to everything, it's just unbelievable that he took such a great opportunity and I think I think he made a wrong choice. I really do. Well, uh, there's no doubt in my mind he did. I, I, you know, I've, I've sat and spent my career trying to figure this guy out. You know, there's something else that gets thrown in that, that just swerves you, and, and you really can't quite figure him out. But you know, it's obvious that, that he's a, a very uh, self-centered person, and, and like for him to say, well, "I'm going to let." You know, Shane Douglas coming and win a match or lose a match and then have Sting go over or whoever. Right. Uh, that would be, in his mind, an admission that this company was better than my company. After all, I vanquished them, so why do it? But like you're saying, what's missing from that whole equation is what did the fans want? Yes. And, that, and I mean, I've, to, I've told this story 10,000 times, and you may have heard it never, or you may have heard it 10,000 times, but when me and Booker wrestled, for the first match of the invasion, we were in Tacoma, Washington, and the next week was Atlanta. So if you're Vince McMahon, wouldn't you wait a week and put Booker T and Buff Bagwell in the Phillips Arena instead of Tacoma, where WCW never was? Sure. So me and Booker are backstage whispering to each other going, why are we main event number one? Why are we main event number one? And number two, why would we wait one week? So we smelt it right there. And then they actually, that's the heat between me and Jim that we, you know, got away with. And now me and Jim are, are good to go. But Jim Rawls called me up and said, hey, you got to take your time, get your head healed up. Because I'd bust my head open from having the fight with uh, Helms. And, and you know, it just blew my mind that he would not, you know, just go with it and, and, and let it see what happens. But instead, he just, he just, he just done this all and, 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 and got rid of it. And it, it just, yeah, um, that, was, that match in Tacoma, not to cut you off, that match in Tacoma, Oh, but was that before, during, or after the sale? That was after the sale. We were the first match of what they called the invasion. So me and Booker T, our main event on Raw, which we shouldn't have been with the talent that was there, number one. Number two, why are we doing the main event in Tacoma 
and instead of doing it in Atlanta seven days from now. Yes. So sure. they brought me down. They said, we got big plans for you. Take take your time off. And then I got fired in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> that was my big plans. Atlanta became the new Alamo. Yes, yes, it did. <laughs> exactly. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's crazy, isn't it? Because you know, I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's ass or anything, but I remember when I first saw you in world class, and I thought, man, what a good-looking guy can build, can go, and you were greener than goose ship, but you could still go at that point. And you know, you, that was what I was always like in my brain, not combating against, but like working for against. You know, like, like I'm, I'm, I, I, these are the guys I got to compete with. I gotta get my ass in the gym. I gotta learn my craft. I've gotta pick this up. There was always somebody out there that you could look at and say, "That guy can take my spot. That guy can take my spot. That guy can." Right on your heels, right? Right on your heels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Well, it made you hungry as hell, and you know, and, and lit a fire under your ass because you couldn't be complacent. You couldn't sit back and say, "Hey, I got this." You know, yeah, you so couldn't. There's no way. Out in the business. Absolutely, and um, you mentioned and you mentioned WCW, and one of my uh, one of my uh, favorite moments of, about WCW, at least with you, was I remember um, watching when you came back and for the next run, and you were with uh, Benoit Malenko and Perry Saturn, and you guys formed the Revolution, which um, yeah. I, I thought that was a great faction. I, I really enjoyed watching the four of you guys work together, and I was always curious. Um, how did the idea for the Revolution come about? Well, that. <laughs> Vince Russo, I can still remember the first day Vince Russo walked into the uh, the, uh, the catering room. Oh, boy. I had no knowledge that he was coming. And uh, when he None of us did. With us. We were all sitting there eating. Because we were all friends from ECW. Uh, what most people probably don't realize is that there was a lot of backstage things that had happened prior to that. Uh, when Dean and Chris had become part of the Four Horsemen, Dean had flown up to a show, and I can't remember which one it was, of course, but came up to Philadelphia for one of the ECW shows, and you know we had been friends for years before ECW, and he put me out for sushi, <clears throat> and he asked me, I'm going to talk to you about something, please let me, don't say anything, don't interrupt me, just let me finish, and you now this is when ECW was on its upswing, and he said about this new four horsemen, and that they wanted me to be in the flare role, which, you know, Aside from our personal differences, I mean, you know, Flair is, he's clearly a cut above everybody. He was like one of the measuring sticks in wrestling. And I didn't want that, you know, that comparison to be made. But I was also happy in ECW. And I turned it down politely. And uh, later when I did go back to WCW, Vince Russo came in that first day and sat down with us. And he started calling us his boys and said that he had an idea. And, you know, we, we sort of kicked it around a little bit. And when he revealed the entire thing, I thought, man, you know, how better than to stand next to guys like Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and Perry Saturn, who can all wrestle their asses off. To be the mouthpiece for that would be a dream come true. And, uh, you know, when they started doing it, uh, we were getting pretty good heat. And then there was a moment at the uh, 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 with Auburn Hills, uh, palace in Detroit, north of Detroit. We had a TV taping. You, you couldn't do this today after 9-11, but where we were, you know, threatening to burn the American flag. And we took the American flag and put it in a garbage can and dumped what looked like a gas can, but it was water. And I think they sent Jim Duggan down first and he knocked Perry down and we beat him down. And then I think Brett ultimately came out. And when I, we came running back to the dressing room curtain, <clears throat> Uh, J.J. Dillon was standing there looking at me and said, that was the most fucking disgusting thing I've ever seen. And I remember it was the first time I ever talked back to him. I said, he should have spoken up in the production meeting. Yes. And uh, there was a lot of push. You could tell even then, right, Marcus, that there were factions, like this faction was pushing this way. The other one was, every, nobody was working together there. It felt very noticeable to me. Absolutely. The thing I remember about Russo, Shane, and I'm not sure if he said it. If you remember, he took about 
30 or 40, maybe 50 guys that he brought in one at a time to talk to them. And every one of us, he said to us, the problem with this company is we, I shouldn't be on TV. The promoter should not be on TV. And, yeah. and they had, if they had the, the, the twins, the Harris, Harris, was it the Harris brothers? Yes, Ron and Don. Yeah, Ron and Don, exactly. And remember, they would always show them, but you could hear Russo's voice. So what he promised to 50-plus guys that he was never going to do, which was be on television, he ended up being, I think, the champion and beating everybody with a baseball bat. <laughs> and I'm like, what happened to you saying that you were not going to be on TV? Can I, can I ask what happened with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, how many times have we seen that in our careers, right? Oh, a million. I remember in TNA, uh, there were, not often, but there were a few times when we needed somebody to be the voice of the company in, a, in an angle. And I can still see her. She would hold her finger up, like one finger up in front of your face and say, and this is exact words, I'm management, not on-air talent. So I leave, and a year later, somebody's sending me you know, links. I'm clicking on them, and I see her out there cutting the you know, the, the double crab with Hogan and you know, getting power bonds, you know, three deep through the flaming ta- through the table by uh, uh, the Dudley boys. And, uh, boy, some, somebody's going to taste the fame, haven't they? <laughs> Yes, yes, they have. But it was, uh, Russo did, and and, and believe it or not, we all believed him and we were excited because we thought, okay, here we go. And and that is the problem. I mean, Eric, I love Eric Bischoff to death. I always have. That's my personal opinion because he always did me right. And, but, but, but he was also in every single segment. And that was Russo's comeback was, you know what? You can't do that. You can't be in every segment. Well, before it was over, Russo was in every segment. And if you remember, I'm not, you weren't with us then. I still stand with this. The talent that we had in that dressing room at the time the company was sold and right before, who wouldn't love to book that company? Because you had, like Bill watches to say, Thanksgiving dinner, you don't want the big pile of turkey. Well, we had literally everything in that dressing room. We had the luchadors. We had incredible tag teams. We had young guys ready to go. We had names like Luger and Flair and Sting and, you know, so many others that were there. Hogan. Hogan. (laughs) And then bringing guys in, you know, like, uh, remember Jerry Two to the Wall? uh, Oh, yeah, I remember Jerry. Guys that could go. So there was a a great uh, pool of talent to draw from. It, it always seemed like we were all like nothing was consistent. You know, there was okay, we're gonna go this direction this week, and the next week we're gonna go way over here, and it, it just seemed so herky jerky that it could never get uh, traction. You know, it just seemed we were all over the place. Let me ask you this: Were you there when they went to the box because we were late? Were you there no. during that time? The box. What's the box? There was this little white box that we had to be there by 12 o'clock. And if we were late, it was a $500 fine the first time, a 1000 the second, and you were fired the third. Wow. The problem is, here, yeah, here's this little white. This is, this is right toward the end, 2000, 2001, right toward the end. And here they come up with us being late is the problem. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're like, and so we showed up, and we're in a big long line, and the box ain't working. So now, if it's past <laughs> that, we're gonna get fined. So it started. You know, of course, they having to go down the line and tell everybody it was their own paper. They they were there at this time and all that. It was so ridiculous that it, it just it just how could us being late be the problem of WCW? Yeah, there there was a lot of odd stuff going on there at the end. Uh, 
you remember the there was a pay-per-view in Cincinnati and the next day we did TV in Columbus which is when you know it was being announced that Vince was fired Russo was fired and there was all this tumult in the dressing room and we got pulled aside in Columbus we went into catering and I remember vividly Doug Billinger walking in with different like security guards and coming and getting me and getting Perry and getting Chris and getting Dean and getting Ray and getting Oscar I mean Conan and taking us out and we all were staying at the same hotel out at the airport and you know we went there and I you know we discussed you know sticking together and you know the divide and conquer that kind of thing if we'd split and the following week became really bizarre for me because we get sent home I'm at home in Pittsburgh I get a phone call from Bruce Pritchard on Wednesday and he's saying that we have to sign our releases before Vince can negotiate with us I said Bruce you and I both know you're not allowed to be calling us right now and we can't sign our releases unless we know what we're gonna be making in WWF exactly no other phone calls came on Saturday of that week and he asked me where I was and I said Pittsburgh and he responded with are you sure about that why would I lie to you and I said yeah I'm talking to my wife and he said no no I believe he said but the reason I'm asking is the guy that ran that managed the Ramada Hotel in Stanford was good friends with Russo and called him and told him that we were all checking in and I of course was still in Pittsburgh and he said I well what about the other guys I said well I'll call you right back and I hung up and I called Dean Malenko who answered like on the second ring and I and I asked him where he was and I told him why Dean and I had this thing where we would say hey if we had something to talk about let me finish before you say anything right so I said to him you know hey I've got a phone call this is what I've been told you know and he swore to me on his wife and his daughter that he was at the beach house in Florida so I called Russo right back and I said I haven't spoken to anybody else but I laid bets that Dean is in Florida and Russo said I don't want to call anybody a liar but you know on a Dean is here. Was he? There's a real easy way to figure this out. Just call the hotel and ask for your friends. Oh my gosh! So they all backdoored you. Time with with our son who just went to college. She said, "Have you have you called the hotel yet?" And I said, "No." She said, "What are you waiting for?" And I said, "Remember me? I had a little bit of a temper." I said, "Well, a, I'm afraid that if they're there, I'm going to lose my mind." Right. Secondly. Uh, if they're not there, I'm gonna feel like a schmuck that I didn't trust my friends. Right. She's, she's so it was, a, it, was a lo- it was a lose lose. It was a lose lose, really. Right. Exactly. And, and she put her hand on her stomach and she said, "If you call and they're not there, nobody but me and you and this baby know you made that call. You owe it to this family to cover your ass." I thought, "Hey, she's right." So I called the hotel and I started. I think with Benoit, and he said, "Yes, Mr. Benoit has checked in," and I went to Perry next. And he said, yes, I, he just checked in a few minutes ago. Wow. I said, how about, I said, how about Dean Malenko? He punched up on the computer and said, no, no, there's no Malenko here. I said, whew, thank God. At least, at least one didn't lie to me, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, then right before we hung up, I think it popped into my head that Dean would. Always use a different name. Check assignment. So I said, is there is there a Simon checked in by chance? And he said, yeah, but it's a woman. I said, is it Shelly Simon by chance? And he said, yeah, how'd you know? Oh my God! Unbelievable. And he wouldn't answer. Now, now that I've said all that, we've since cleared the air. Obviously, you know, we've we've spoken about it and everything. But you know, that was exactly what I was talking about in Columbus the night we got thrown out. If Vince can divide and conquer us, he'll swallow us all whole. Yes, but that that had to hurt. We're gonna have power. That had to hurt though with your friends that did that, and that had to hurt. You know. And so yeah. the, the final epitaph of that whole story is Diana, our our favorite attorney Diana Myers, uh, who was pissed off that guys like Marcus Badwell and Shane Douglas were making the amount of money that we were yes. on the road 350 days a year. Yes. Um, yeah. So she sent me a fax threatening me that if I didn't sign this release, that they were going to do this, that, and the other thing. And and uh, my attorney laughed at me. And he said, you never requested a release, so they can't force you to sign a release. 
And so we played bluff poker for a few days before they finally backed down. And I ended up getting paid for the rest of my, you know, for like two and a half years left on the contract. But just what a bizarre place, you know, with all that talent, with that outlet, with those ratings, quadruple what the NBA was making. And to have let that go for pennies on the dollar, no one will ever be able to convince me that there wasn't something nefarious going on someplace behind the scenes. Yes, and like I said, you know, even with Russo telling us he would never be on TV, and he was. So, I mean, it was it was just it was just it was just. Do, do you remember when they brought Russo and Bischoff together back to WCW to I run sure it? Do. Yes. That was in Richmond. That's the night that Scotty Steiner almost ripped out Dallas Page's eye. (laughs) And that's why I remember it. It was in Richmond, Virginia at the Richmond Coliseum. And, I mean, it just blew our minds that, that, that they were working together now. But you could always tell Russo's boys were your your Jarrett's. Your Benoit's, your your Malenko's, and then and then your Bischoff guys, where your Luger's, your Stings, your Bagwells, your right. Goldbergs, and so you could always tell who was running it, and but yeah. but still for them to try to get along and make it together, there was just no way, you know, there was just no yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. Was, you know, I, I get along great with both of them, but you could tell that no matter how hard they tried to give us that impression that they were working well together, you could tell that. They were polar opposites. Yes, they were. And what I found the what I find the most interesting and ironic is about the fact that you know Russo saying I'm never going to let myself on television. Then he's out there hitting people with baseball bats. And one of the main moments he does it is when you have when you you have you finally get a one on one match with Ric Flair, and with all the with all the tension and everything, and whether 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 parts of it was a work or parts of it weren't a work or half a shoot or not a shoot or whatever, you were finally going to have the match that everybody wanted to see. And it ends with Russo hitting you with a bat and David Flair coming in and Kevin Nash running down. Like, he, he, now, yeah. this is insane. Like, I just found that yeah. f- funny and ironic that one of the worst Russo moments was he screwed up what was potentially about to be one of the biggest moments you had was you and Flair finally coming to a head after, you know, all the all the tension, all the drama, and all the BS. Yeah, well, you know, when... That was the reason I was brought to WCW. Uh, when I spoke to Bischoff the first time, he said, I want to be the one that brings this to television. And I had taken my wife, my ex-wife now, on a, a two- or three-week cruise because I knew I was going to be tied up for the next three years. And when we came back in, to, to, to the, uh, Miami, for the, uh, the import in Miami, we stayed in Florida for an extra week until because that, that Monday, Nitro was going to be in uh, Jacksonville. And I thought it'd be a good thing for me to just to show up there and say hello to everybody and, you know, just get reacquainted. And when I walked into the and this is one of the things I always say about Flair, like Flair, Dusty, and Hogan, they can walk in a room behind your back with 10,000 people in that room, and you know they're there. You feel them. Yes. And I was standing there saying hello to Mikey Whipwreck and guys that I had known, like Sam Man and Peaches, and I could feel them behind me. And I before I turned around, I said, Rick? How you doing? And sure enough, he was standing right behind me. <laughs> uh, we talked. I said, you know, hey, can we, you know, I think we, you and I should talk and clear the air because, you know, we had both said some pretty acerbic things about each other. And uh, he promised me that day, I, I asked him, I said, or, you know, I think you and I, what I said to him exactly was, I think you and I have the opportunity to help turn these ratings back in WCW's favor. And I'm going to ask you if, if you're man enough to uphold your end of it. And he said he absolutely was. And then when it came finally for the match, uh, you know, I, I was hearing through Russo about all this politicking that was going on backstage behind my, behind the curtain. And, you know, then I see, you know, on the paper, Russo involved and, and uh, uh, David Flair involved and all the rest of the guys. And I thought, boy, if, if I knew nothing else, I knew the fans were going to shit on that because they wanted to see either Ric Flair beat Shane Douglas's ass or Shane Douglas beat Ric Flair's ass. They didn't want to see anybody else involved. And you did, I remember in Kansas City Kemper Arena hearing it as soon as... Kemper was, Arena, bro. That's where oh, Owens died. Yeah, you, you could just hear it. You know, the, the proverbial punch in the... Uh, uh, turd the punch bowl. 
Yes. If you remember, if you remember this, I know you will. Owen Hart died in Kemper Arena. And do you remember what we did the next day? No. We went to the mall and had to buy things because Steen didn't want to repel. Really? Do you remember going to the mall with me and us picking out all the outfits for everybody? Yes. And it was, we had to get the out, because remember they dumped the blood in the ring and they didn't want to ruin everybody's stuff and all that. So we had to get gear for everybody and their sizes and all that. And yes. and me and you, of course, we, we, we said we would do it and we went and got it done. But Sting didn't want to repel the night after Owen Hart died. So we hung Sting upside down, beat him up, Got him in the ring, and that's when all the blood came down and splashed the ring and all that. But we had gone to the mall yeah. that day. Yes, I do remember that. I say, all those memories are up there in the cobweb somewhere, but I do remember that. I remember walking into Kemper Arena that night. If you remember, Kemper Arena is built down like into the ground. Yes. And I remember walking into the venue and looking up at that ceiling, and I got sick to my stomach. Oh, so did I, dude. I teared up. I teared up. Yeah, that was... Surreal. I, to this day, I still can't believe that somebody died from professional wrestling. No, no. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy, bro. Well, um, bro, for starters, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out for us, bro. Just to share a few moments. And, and, and I mean, bro, you're, you, you are the franchise. And I'm not saying that to blow smoke up your ass. You are Shane Douglas, the franchise, and and you always have been. You've always been super nice to me. You've always been super nice to everybody I've ever seen. Um, if somebody got out of line, you would you would you would speak for yourself like I would. Um, yeah. But at the same time, yes, there's not a mute button. I wish there would have been for me, yeah. but there is not. So, but yeah, but it was just, it was just a blast to be with you and have some special times together and talk about some old times. And I just, the, of all things, the fourth thing on my list to ask you was that, that crazy photo shoot thing. Yeah. And you came out of the gate with it first. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's give a round of applause right here. Honestly, for me, and I'm sure you're the same way, you know, we got to experience an amazing period of professional wrestling, and, and we were blessed to have had that. Dude. And now when we get the chance to sit back and, you know, shoot the shit like this and just relive some of that, you know, like we did this past weekend at the uh, gathering in Charlotte. Absolutely. What a thing, man. We got a chance to, to, to live that experience. And you know what? We don't do that enough. We really don't. I mean, like, even yeah. you know, pictures and stuff. I mean, just, just get a picture with each other when we're together because I got a picture with one man gang that night and, and, and that day. And, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's, we should do that more often, bro. It just, it, this is something that people don't get a chance to do. And we got yeah. to live our dream out, bro. And we did. Yeah. And we're still living it. We're, we're, we're doing what we want to do for a living and we're getting paid for it. You know, you know and, I always tell people that, you know, you know, how many people reach for a dream and don't quite attain it. You know, we had that opportunity in my wildest I, would, I could never imagine having had the career that we've had and, and to, to work with the people that we grew up watching and learning from. Uh, I mean, it, it's it, there, there's definitely a, a feeling of surrealism about it that, that we had that chance and we got to know all those guys we mentioned earlier. Yes, yes. What an amazing experience. Yes, big Chris, you know, your boy Chris Shoes, your big, your big boy that's so nice. He, I asked him, I said, I said, do you realize, I said, I mean, we're, we're able to do, you know, what we want to do and have fun doing it. I said, but at the same time, I said, we've gone through a lot. And I said, I said, and, 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 and Shane has done, had such a hell of a career, and I just said, please, is there any way I can get him on, you know, my podcast? And 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 he said, well, I'll work on it. And I'm just, I just, again, want to thank you. And let's just, I mean, really, I mean, thank you so much, Perfect. 
Sure, and not to mention that, it's, it's hard to make, you know, the kind of money you make in one day or the kind of money I make in one day. I mean, go out and try to find it. You're not going to. So we're doing it, and we're making money, and we're enjoying what we're doing. But but at the same time, it's been a, it's been a long road. How, how long have you yeah. been in this business, Shane? Uh, this Thanksgiving Day, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say it, but this this Thanksgiving Day will start my 40th year in the business. Wow, I'm I'm at 30, so you got 10 yeah. years on me, bro, and you look my same age with a head full of hair. <laughs> we said the other day about <laughs> hair, we got a head full of hair, <laughs> so we're good to go. We still, with no no plus, we still got the real deal up there, man. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> but again, man, just thank you so much, and Booch wants to thank you too. And a- absolutely, I, I know you said before you get asked to do a lot of these, so the fact that you took time out and chose to to talk with us, man, it, it means a lot. It's fantastic. You've had an amazing career, and just for me to get the chance to ask some questions, uh, it, it meant a lot to me, and I'm glad that you took so much time to talk to us. I mean, it's very much appreciated. I, I I wish we could sit around and do this every night and have the time to do it. Uh, but you know, it's like I said to Marcus earlier. It's rare that we get the chance to talk like this. And like he said, we we don't see each other nearly enough. Uh, but the the one thing that always sticks out to me is every time we do run into each other. Like last year, I think it was when we went down to Charlotte or outside of Charlotte somewhere, and we went back to the to the uh, to the house we were staying at that night and. Sat up for what several hours and sat there and bullshitted and told old stories and and boy what a lot of fun that's the kind of stuff that, that I live for now is that you know just being able to share those memories and, and laugh and you know get angry and whatever else but it's uh, it's just a shitload of fun I much, very much appreciate you guys having me on yeah well thank you again man and I'm so glad you got your I mean that's you got to feel good today about getting your your kid to college and that had to be like I said you got teared up you even said you got teared up and I even got teared up when you said it so that's that's got to be a great thing to feel and and I'm just um, uh, you've had a full day so we'll let you run but we just want to say thank you so much again and just uh, just thank you for a wonderful wonderful time. Uh, again, appreciate it, guys. Uh, let's do it again sometime. We, def- we definitely will, bro. You have a good one, okay, Shane? All right, guys. Take care, man. Take care, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. See ya. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our interview with the franchise, Shane Douglas. Now, you'll notice for this classic interview post, I did not include an intro prior to the interview as far as me talking up the interview with Shane Douglas. Some of you might be happy about that. Some of you might not be happy about that. But either way, I'll explain why. When we originally interviewed Shane Douglas, you know, I did what I did all the time on the Buff and Booch cast. I did the big intro. I talked up the legend. I told him from ECW, WCW, WWE, TNA, the franchise. I talked him up. And Shane came in with cut the fucking music because that's what he used to always say whenever he came out to the ring. So he just threw out his catchphrase. So because of that, I decided to cut out the intro completely and just get to the music and cut the fucking music when it originally aired on the Buff and Booch cast. So I figured, since I made the decision to bring it back here on the actual Booch cast page here on Anchor, I thought I should do the same thing. So I just did the music and then I timed it to where it was proper and then had Shane come in with cut the fucking music and go straight into the interview. And I knew I would have a chance to talk to you guys here on this post-interview chat that I always give. So, one thing I want to say here before I officially wrap this show up is that, for now, this is the last classic interview I'm going to be posting. Don't worry, I'll be posting more at a later date, sometime down the road. I still have some great interviews from the Buff and Booch cast that I can put out, as well as classic interviews with Atlanta comedians and things of that nature. I have a lot of content that I can post, and I'll be posting a lot of classic stuff in the meantime, especially from our old SoundCloud page that is slowly but surely going 
away. I will be doing a transition period where that SoundCloud page will be disappearing. And the, the good segments are going to come here to anchor. The bad segments are going to go away forever and you'll never hear from them again. So those will be posted here at a later date sometime down the road, probably the next time we take a vacation. But the good news is next week we will be having some new episodes of the Boochcast coming out. Now, because there's a special occasion taking place this week, uh, NXT TakeOver Stand Up and Deliver is going to be coming out this week. There's going to be night one on Wednesday, night two on Thursday. So this coming Friday will be a recap of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Now, night one will be done by myself and John Tumblin. Night two will be done by Elvis Delinsky and John Tumblin. Because as you guys know, this week I also have the Going Live show, the sketch comedy show that I do, uh, which you can check out live on Thursday by uh, subscribing to the Going Live show YouTube channel. That's where it airs bi-weekly. So we have a new episode coming out this week. So because of that, I will not be able to recap or even see night two of NXT TakeOver Stand Up and Deliver. So Elvis and John will take care of night two. Myself and John Tumblin will take care of night one so we can get NXT TakeOver Stand Up and Deliver. The recap will be out Friday, both nights. Also, this coming weekend is WrestleMania 37, which means on our Twitch channel, go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. We will be having our WrestleMania watch parties. The Saturday one will be streaming live from Elvis's new house. So you get to see uh, some of Elvis's new place. Uh, also, the Sunday show will be streamed either here in the Boochcast studio or at Desmond's house. We're still trying to figure all of that out. So we will be doing our live WrestleMania 37 watch parties on Twitch. Also, on Monday, April 12th, here on Anchor, you will hear our full recaps of Night 1 and Night 2 of WrestleMania 37. Now... That's all we're going to put out for this week. But then, starting April 19th, we will be getting back into our original routine. And I, we will discuss more about that on the 19th of April. So I just want to plug those things for you guys real quick. This coming Friday, here on Anchor, NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver. And of course, April 12th will be WrestleMania 37. And on April 10th and April 11th on Twitch will be our WrestleMania 37 watch parties. So, make sure you guys are following the Boochcast here on Anchor. Go to anchor.fm slash theboochcast. Also, make sure you are following us on Spotify, Breaker, and Google Podcasts. That's right. So, if you have a Spotify account, you can find the Boochcast on Spotify. If you have a Breaker, we're on Breaker. If you have Google Podcasts, we are on Google Podcasts. So, follow us on all four platforms. If you got a favorite, pick one. Listen to the Boochcast every single week. Also, make sure you like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have great archived episodes of the show as well as great content, including I have two, I actually have three Easter videos up there. The Easter video for the Boochcast, the Easter video for HVMA, and the Easter video for myself on my personal channel. Check all three of them out. Uh, if you haven't already, they're even though Easter has passed, they are still great videos. Check those out. Also, make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos on those sites. Also, the special treat, which I can say here, is going to be the bootleg link to WrestleMania. We're going to have bootleg links to the site. For those of you that don't want to deal with Peacock, uh, if you want to see the pay-per-view, we will be providing links to them for you to check out on our Twitter page. We will have the bootleg links to the site. So check them out there. We'll be tweeting them out. And we'll even post our Twitter handle in the chat room to where you guys can find it. We'll be calling it the Special Treat. That's our code name for those bootleg sites. So you can watch the pay-per-view while also following along with us because we cannot legally show the pay-per-view on Twitch. So make sure you're following us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash theboochcast so you can check out the watch parties as well as other great content we have coming soon, including our Boochcast D&D, which we are still working on. But right now we are waiting on Rhiannon and John to get their new place. And once that's set up, we will begin the Dungeons & Dragons Boochcast show. Also, make sure you subscribe Support the show through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash theboochcast. We have great rewards for great patrons for as little as $1 a month. That's it. Just $1 a month and you can help us grow this podcast, keep it going, keep it uh, alive and thriving for the fans as well as taking care of all the guys behind the scenes that work very hard to make this happen. If you feel they do a good job and they deserve to be paid, Patreon's how you make that happen. And also we have great rewards on top of that. But if you got some extra spending cash and want to take advantage of some of the other great rewards we got, feel
feel free to do so at your leisure. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys soon. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.